Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that, if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? They make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out, that you may make much of them. It is always good to be made much for a good purpose, and not only when I am present with you. My little children, for whom I am again in anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. May God help us to hear his word. Well, thank you, Sherry, for reading scripture for us. And good morning, beloved in Christ. I want to welcome friends and visitors who may be with us for the first or second time. I hope that you find rest in God as you visit with us. Uh, my name is Oliver. I serve as a pastor with the elder team here at Grace Baptist Church. You know, standing in front, I am encouraged to hear us sing. It sounds so good when we sing together as one church. Corporate singing is one means of God's grace to encourage us believers. So let us sing loudly and often. We will continue today in Paul's letter to the Galatians, and we are still in our sermon series in Galatians, uh, Faith Alone, which will take us all the way to the end of November. My friends, we want God, the Holy Spirit, to tutor our hearts as we hear God's words. So let us spend this time to pray our hearts in prayer. Let us pray. Father God, as we look into your Bible this morning, we pray that your Holy Spirit be our teacher and guide, that your word be our rule and authority, and that your glory be our primary concern. Help all of us see Jesus Christ as revealed in your word, and then, Lord, empower us to live a life shaped by the gospel of Jesus Christ. Grant that this preaching of your word magnifies Jesus Christ, and that we might receive your word with great joy and humility. We pray this for our good and the praise of your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Well, this person on the screen in front of you is John Newton. And we probably know him best from the hymn he wrote, Amazing Grace. He was, uh, he was an only child and he lost his mother when he was seven. 
he went to sea at a tender age of 11. Imagine that, 11 years old, and he, he joined uh, a ship. And in the words of one of his biographers, he later became involved in the unspeakable atrocities of the African slave trade. He plumbed the depths of human sin and degradation and lived a life of debauchery. He lived captive to his sinful nature. When he was 23, on 10 of March 1748, when his ship he was on was in imminent peril of foundering and sinking in a, ter a terrible storm, John Newton cried out to God for mercy and found it. He was truly converted and he never forgot how God had mercy upon him, a former blasphemer and a great sinner. And he sought diligently all his life to remember what he had previously been and what God had done for him, rescuing him from sin and giving him new life. And to imprint this, 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 this thought into his memory, he had written in bold letters these words, You shall remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, and the Lord your God had redeemed you. He fastened Deuteronomy 15.15 across the wall over the mental place of his study so that he will not go back and again be enslaved by sin. John Newton understood his heart. My friends, if we are honest with ourselves, this too is the tendency of our heart. We are redeemed and rescued, but we are tempted to return to Egypt and be enslaved by sin again. We do not want to trust and receive Jesus Christ's gospel by faith and in humility. We want to rely on something other than God to count us right before Him. We do not want to live free in the gospel. We instead pursue other self-righteous means of self-rescue, which ends with us in slavery. My friends, how do we remedy our tendency for gospel forgetfulness? Paul deals with this in today's passage in Galatians chapter 4, verses 8 to 20. And the big idea for today is don't be enslaved, live free as Paul did, making much of the gospel. And the two main sections basically follow the big idea. Do not be enslaved, verses 8 to 11 and live free as Paul did, uh, verses 12 to 20. The main point is that we are to live in gospel freedom, taking care to receive faithful gospel messengers and being zealous for gospel good. Today's passage is found on page 915 of the Pew Bibles. So my friends, if you don't have a Bible, you can, can uh, pick up the Pew Bible in front of you. In fact, if you don't own a Bible, it will be our delight to give you the Pew Bible. You can take it home with you. Uh, you can use the Pew Bible and follow along with me if you don't have a Bible. Firstly, don't be enslaved, verses 8 to 11. Paul teaches us in Galatians chapter 3, 7 to 4, 7, that we have been redeemed by trusting in the promises of God and not by obedience to the works of the law. He reminds Christians 
that we are now sons, not slaves, having received adoption through the Spirit. And then Paul's moved towards an appeal to the Galatians in verses 8 to 11. He reminds them of their previous enslavement under elemental spiritual forces. Verse, uh, chapter 4, verse 3. The Galatians seems to be moving backwards, placing themselves again under the law of Moses. And Paul fears that if this is true, then he would have wasted his ministry among them. Galatians 4, verse 8 to 11. Formerly, when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not gods. But now you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God. How can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I am afraid I may have laboured over you in vain. Paul begins his appeal. Again, Paul contrasts what once we were with, one, uh, with what we have now become. But this time, the contrast is given regarding our knowledge of God. You see, in verse 8, formerly you did not know God. And verse 9, but now you have come to know God. Or rather, since the initiative was God's, to be known by God. Now, our slavery before we are converted and adopted was to that by nature that are not, not gods, meaning idols. Owing to our ignorance of God our, and our sonship now consists of the knowledge of God, knowing Him and being known by Him in the intimacy of a personal relationship with God which Jesus called eternal life. Now comes Paul's appeal. And basically his, his argument can be paraphrased as this. If you were once a slave and are now a son, if you do not know God but have now come to know Him and be known by Him, how then can you return to being slaves again? How can you be enslaved by the weak and elementary principles of the world? from which Jesus Christ rescued you. What are, just, what are these weak and worthless elemental principles of the world? You know, reading this verse in parallel with verse 8, the elemental principles of the world are those that by nature are not gods, meaning idols. And idols are anything we worship in place of or more than God. A good thing can be idol when we treasure it more than God. And most times, we tend to think of idols as something outside of us. You know, possibly our careers, or relationships, money, sex, and power. However, as we see uh, in the Old Testament and in the New Testament, we can also set ourselves up as idols. When we pursue works righteous legalism, we essentially say that we can save ourselves and we reject God. When we, we somehow think we succeed, we give glory to and worship ourselves instead of God. Indeed, the giving glory to self is what we see the false teachers doing in verse 17. We see there that they want to be made much 
off. Verse 10 continues, you observe days and months and seasons and years. In other words, your religion has degraded into an external legalistic formalism. It's no longer the free and joyful fellowship of children with their father. It has become a dreary routine of legalistic do's and don'ts, of rules and uh, regulations, observing special days and ceremonies. It has become duty without devotion. And Paul adds sorrowfully, I am afraid I may have laboured over you in vain. In verse 11, he fears that all the time and trouble he had spent you know, labouring over the Galatians church had been wasted. Instead of growing into gospel liberty, uh, the, the liberty that Christ had set them free to live in, they have slipped back to the old bondage and slaved to idols. But beloved, how can we be so foolish to say to God, you have made me your son, but I'd rather be a slave. It's one thing to say, you know, I don't think I quite deserve it. But it's another thing to say, I do not desire it. I prefer slavery to sonship. Yet that was the foolishness of the Galatians. Under the influence of their false teachers, they were falling back to adding obedience to the law, to faith alone in Christ alone for their salvation. And in doing so, they were falling back into slavery. You know, beloved, we tend to downplay and minimize bad news and, oh, and we play up and emphasize good news. You know, the gospel of Jesus Christ is indeed good news, but it's only good news when we know the bad news, how bad the situation we are really in. Before we came to Christ, as uh, uh, Paul tells us in another letter in Ephesians 2, uh, Ephesians chapter 2, we were dead in our sins and trespasses. We were enslaved to idols, as, uh, as Paul tells us here in Galatians 4.8. We were sons of disobedience, walking according to our sinful nature. We deserve only God's wrath and anger at our sins. But God, but God, save us through Jesus Christ. His death on the cross in our place for our sins, His resurrection to life, who is being raised to life for eternal life, we now know God and are known by Him. Beloved, we must talk about and understand sin and our own sinful nature. And by doing so, by focusing on our sin and knowing our need for forgiveness, it will lead us to repentance, a turning away from our sin and to faith in Jesus Christ. You know, to my non-Christian friends who may be visiting with us, this is your dire state without Christ. You face God's wrath and judgment. And this is bad news. But the good news is this. Freedom and forgiveness is available in Jesus Christ. Acknowledge the bad news that you are a sinner. Believe in Jesus Christ who saves sinners like you and me and confess with your mouth and heart that Jesus Christ 
is Saviour and Lord, and that you want to be saved from your sins. If this is your desire of heart, if this is what the Spirit is prompting you this morning, speak to your Christian friend or any of the elders and pastors here at Grace Baptist Church. We would love to speak to you and tell you a little bit more about the Gospel. What about us as a church, beloved? We need to call sin, sin, and be serious about sin. Only when we understand the depths of where we came from can we truly know the joy and gratitude of the redemption that Jesus Christ brings. And with this gratitude comes the power to remember, to combat our gospel forgetfulness. One practice we can apply is to make confession a part of our Christian life, to either incorporate this into our, uh, uh, our corporate worship uh, services together, or prayer meetings, or in our small groups, or even um, confessing individually to God. We need to take sin seriously and confess it to one another and confess our sins to God. The next section when we talk about uh, we are to live free as Paul did. You know, when I, I write to a government body or any official body for, for business, you know, I'll base my appeal to them on reason. But when I write to my friends, and I'm sure when you write to your friends, you make requests based on not just reason, but personal appeal because of our relationship, because of your relationship with them. And Paul does just this in verses 12 to 20. He gets personal. He appeals to his past friendship with the Galatians. And then we see now the letter shifting to this new section, uh, starting from Galatians 4.12. There it contains Paul's appeal and request. Paul desires that the Galatians be like him. He makes his argument based on his previous relationship with them. He desires that they follow his example rather than the example of the Judaizers and false teachers. And we see this in verses 12 to 16, where basically it helps us to receive faithful gospel messengers. But we start at verse 12a. Verse 12a. Brothers, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Beginning in verse 12, we see Paul appealing to the Galatians, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. Or in the original language, we could translate, become as I, for I as you. Or, become like me, for I like you. No, no, what, what did Paul mean here in this, this uh, uh, verse here? When he says, become like me, in the context, following his agonized complaint that the Galatians were turning back to their old enslavement, from which Christ had redeemed them. This appeal can only mean one thing. Paul longed for them to become like him in his Christian faith and life, to be delivered from the evil influences of the false teachers and to share his convictions about the truth that as it is in Jesus, about the liberty with which Christ has made us free. He wanted them to become like himself in his Christian freedom and to live free in gospel liberty. And this is something, 
uh, beloved, that all Christians should be able to say, especially to unbelievers, that we are so satisfied and delighted in Jesus Christ, uh, um, dwelling in His, enjoying His freedom, joy, and salvation, that we want other people also to become like us, experiencing the same freedom, joy, and salvation. The second part, because I like you. In contact, Paul means become as I am, for I also have become as you are. And this probably refers to Paul's visits to them. You know, Paul, during his first missionary journey, he came to them in Galatia. He did not keep his distance or stand on his Jewish dignity, but Paul became like them. He put himself in, his, in their place and identified himself with them. Although he was a Jew, he became like Gentiles as they were. And, and we see in, uh, insight into this uh, from Paul's letter to, to the Corinthians. 1 Corinthians 9, verse 20-22 tells us this, To the Jews I became as a Jew in order to win Jews. To those outside the law, meaning the Gentiles, I became as one outside the law, not being outside the law of God, but under the law of Christ, that I might win those outside the law. I have become all things to all people, that by all means I might save some. As the late John Stott writes, in seeking to win other people for Christ, our end is to make them like us, make them like us as followers of Christ, while the means to the end is to make ourselves like them. Suppose they are to become one with us in Christian conviction and experience. In that case, we must first become one with them in Christian compassion. We must care enough to be with them, to identify ourselves with them. We must be able to say with Apostle Paul, I became like you, now you become like me. This concise appeal introduces the rest of the section where Paul writes about their attitude to him and his attitude to them. And we see this in the first uh, couple of verses, in verses 13 to 16. Paul contrasts their attitude to him in the past when he first visited them with the attitude now uh, to to him as he's writing to them. Secondly, in verses 17 and 20, Paul contrasts his attitude towards them Contrast it with the attitude adopted by the false teachers. So follow with me as we cover the last couple of verses. Now Paul was ill when he first preached the gospel to the Galatians. As as we read in in Acts and and here, he does not actually specify the illness. Paul does explain, however, that this illness somehow created the circumstances that led him to preach the gospel in Galatia. And we see this in the second half of verse 12 to verse 16. Follow with me as I read that for you, for us. You did me no wrong. You know it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. What then has become of your blessedness? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. 
Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Paul starts with, you did me no wrong. You know, Paul had no complaint about their formal treatment of him. On the contrary, their behaviour when Paul first visited them, you know, was, was exemplary. You know, and what had happened when he first visited Galatia, Paul reminds them in verse 13 that he had first preached the gospel to them because of a bodily ailment. Uh, we do not know for sure what he meant or what disease he caught on his missionary journey. But when he arrived in Galatia, he was in the grip of a great fever. And whatever the disease was, it had unpleasant and unsightly symptoms. It seemed to have marred or defigured him in some way. And, and, and Paul's physical weakness and disfigurement was a trial to the Galatians. We see this in verse 14. And the Galatians had been sorely tempted. You know, this guy is sick. You know, it doesn't look like much. They were tempted to despise and reject him, to treat him with indifference and to turn him away. But Paul said, you did not scorn or despise me, but received me. Instead of rejecting, rejecting him, the Galatians received him. Indeed, he continues, you receive me, as an angel of God, as Christ Jesus. Get this, they received Paul as he was one of God's messengers since he had came to them on the authority of Christ, preaching to them the message of Christ. And the apostles of Christ were Christ's delegate. If you remember in Matthew 10, 40, Christ in sending out his apostles said, whoever receives you receives me, and whoever receives me receives him who sent me. So in receiving Paul, the Galatians rightly receive him like Christ, for they recognize him as apostle or delegate of Christ. But that was then. That was some time ago. Now the situation has changed. You know, Paul uh, states this in verse 15. What then has become of your blessedness? You know, they had been so pleased to have Paul among them in those days, to the extent that Paul says, For I testify to you, if possible, you have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. You know, they will have sacrificed so much just for the sake of Paul. But now, have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? Get this, a complete about-face has now taken place. The Galatians now regarded the one they had received as God's angels, almost like God's son, as their enemy. Why? Why, we may ask. Simply because Paul had been telling them some painful, hard truths, rebuking them and scolding them for deserting the gospel of grace and returning to slavery again. Now, there's an important observation here. When the Galatians the, uh, Galatian recognized Paul's apostolic authority, they treated him as if he was an angel, as if he was like Jesus Christ. But when they did not like his message, what did they do? He became their enemy. How fickle and foolish they were. But beloved, as are we, as are we, you know, 
apostles' authority does not cease when they begin to teach unpopular truths. The apostolic weakness of the New Testament is now inscripturated in the, our Bibles. Uh, Paul's truth is now in our Bibles. And the principle here applies when we interact with gospel messengers. Preachers and teachers today have authority in so far that they are faithful to God's Word and God's Gospel. We cannot, when we like that faithful gospel, what the faithful uh, gospel messenger teaches, then we kind of like listen to him, defer to him, submit to his teachings. And when we do not like what he teaches, we hate him and reject him as an enemy. No. Faithful messengers, when they preach and teach faithfully, preach and teach with the authority of the Word of God, whether we happen to like it or not. And as the preaching and teaching is in accord with the Word of God, then we should welcome it, receive it, and submit to it. Beloved, receive and welcome faithful gospel messengers. It is not their charisma or their attractiveness that should be our focus. Instead, the focus is on their faithfulness to the Word of God. Welcome faithful CG leaders, elders, ministry workers, preachers, and teachers as they proclaim and instruct you in God's Word. You know, as I hear this, it's almost, I almost sound self-serving, but, I, but I'm not asking for myself. Instead, there are many in Grace Baptist Church that teach and preach God's Word faithfully. For example, as many brothers have done and will continue to do so, Marcus, one of our young men in our church, he will be preaching at Acts Baptist Church this afternoon. Now, I read his manuscript. He is a faithful gospel messenger, himself submitting to God's Word in his preaching and teaching. I urge us, do pray for him and many others, men and women in GBC, who handle God's Word with fidelity and faithfulness. You can text them a note to appreciate and encourage them this coming week. And as you get this, as you strengthen their hearts and encourage, you will encourage the multiplication of gospel ministry. The faithful proclamation of the word will also strengthen us as a church. And we will obey the great commission as we make disciples by preaching and teaching the gospel in local churches. Paul ends by encouraging us to be zealous for gospel good. So we see now Paul returning to his concern over the Judaizers, the false teachers' influence over the church at Galatia in verses 17 to 20. You know, we see here that the Judaizers, they are zealous to win over the Galatians. But Paul still desires that the Galatians have a good purpose for being zealous. And, and we see Paul as he ends this section, he's in, um, in emotional turmoil over his concerns for the Galatians, as he remained confused as to why they would desire to live under the law of Moses. Verse 17, let's, let's have a look at that. Uh, we, uh, verse 17 tells us we do not make much of false gospel teachers. So verse 17 tells us, they, meaning the Judaizers and false teachers, make much of you, but for no good purpose, they want to shut you out that they may make much, that you may make much of them. Paul now contrasts the attitude of false teachers to the Galatians and the, his attitude to them. Take the attitude of false teachers first. They make much of you. 
So what does this mean? What does make much of you mean? This phrase can mean boasting or taking pride. But it can, it can also mean being zealous and enthusiastic. So what Paul here is doing is accusing the false teachers of flattering the Galatians insincerely, of being enthusiastic for them, for other than good motives. The false teachers courted their favour and fast over them to win the Galatians over to the adjusted gospel. Their real motive was they want to shut you out. That is, they want to exclude you from Christ and the freedom that you have in Christ. They want the Galatians to turn away from Paul. And they want to do this for what reason? So that you may make much of them. These false teachers, they sought affirmation and popularity. They wanted the Galatians to be zealous for them instead of being zealous for Christ. You know, when Christianity is seen as freedom in Christ, which it is, you know, as Christians, we are, we are not uh, subservient, we, are not, we do not submit to our human teachers because their ambition is to become mature in Christ. But when Christianity is turned into slavery to rules and regulations, its victims are in, always, almost always in subjection. They are tied to the control of their teachers. The false teachers ultimately want control over and adoration from their followers. Now, beloved, we can discern false teachers by their faithfulness to the word and the gospel or their lack of faithfulness to the word and the gospel. Is the doctrine they teach in accord to the word and gospel? Another way is to see their ministries ends if and effect or fruit. Do they make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ or do they desire to be made much of? We need to be cautious. Now, there are some who seem active in the service uh, uh, to the church. Now, some may even appear spiritually zealous or even seem uh, mature and gifted. But what is the end effect of their ministry? Do they make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ or do they do, did they expect you to make much of them? You know, when preparing this message, you know, I was convicted as well. It's very easy for those of us who are up front in ministry you know, to, to drift into wanting others to make much of us. I ask myself, what is my motivation for ministry? Do I make much of the gospel of Jesus Christ or do I want to be made much of? Beloved, pray for me, pray for your shepherd leaders that we seek only to make much of Jesus Christ. You know, we should not make much of false gospel teachers. Instead, we make much of the gospel when we are zealous for gospel transformation. And we see this in the remaining three verses. The good we seek for others here is gospel transformation. And we see this uh, as Paul writes in verse 18 to 20. It's always good to be made much of for good purpose, and not only when I'm present with you. My little children, for whom I'm again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you, I wish I could be present with you, uh, present with you now and change my tone, for I am perplexed about you. 
Paul adds in verse 18, it's always good we make much of for a good purpose. But this was not the case for the false teachers. They were not sincere in their devotion to the Galatians. And we see Paul's attitude to Galatian church is quite different from those of the false teachers. In verse 19, he calls them with tenderness, my little children, and likens himself to their mother. But, you know, looking at this, is, is Paul being manipulative here? And he's saying this to tie them to his control. No. The point of this metaphor here is not to illustrate their dependence on him, but his painful you know, labor and effort spent for them. My little children, for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. Paul is not satisfied that Christ merely dwells in them. He longs to see Christ formed in them, to see them being changed, transformed, conformed into the image of Christ until you take the shape of Christ. Indeed, in, in, zealous, in his desi zealous desire and prayer, he agonizes and anguishes over them to this end. And he likens his pain as, the as if the anguish of childbirth. He has been in labor over them previously at their time of their conversion, when God brought the Galatians to new birth. Now, their turning away from the gospel had caused him another anguish. He is in labor again. He longs that Christ would truly be formed in them. Paul expresses his deep and sacrificial love for the Galatians, his longing to see them conform to the very image of Christ. He's confused over them in verse 20, and as his wits end, he wishes to visit them and change his tone from severity to gentleness, meaning he wants to see them heed Paul's pleading to live in gospel freedom. We see here the clear difference between Paul and the false teachers. This is clear and apparent for us. The false teachers were seeking to control the Galatians. Paul longed that Christ be formed in them. They had a selfish eye for their own prestige and position. Paul was prepared to sacrifice himself for them to be in anguish until Christ was formed in them. Beloved, what this means for us is that our goal for someone is that they receive the gospel and grow in Christ, that Christ is formed in them. You know, in our day when Christianity is viewed as a set of do's and don'ts, as some, some of us view Christianity as therapy to make us feel happy, when God is viewed as distance and not involved in us, the goal of Christ formed in them and us is urgent and vital. You know, we have friends, maybe friends we know even in this church, who want to be happy. There's nothing wrong with wanting to be happy. But when you, view, when you want to be happy and you view Christianity as a means to get that, um, then, then there's something that we need to examine our hearts for. Our goal is to see ourselves growing to become more and more Christ-like. Happiness comes as Christ is formed in us. Beloved, examine your hearts. Do you desire Christ formed in you? What is your desire for friends and family in Christ? 
Do you encourage them to grow in Christ? Do you want them to experience true joy when they grow to become more and more Christ-like? Uh, are you prepared to get disliked like Paul as you urge others to have Christ formed in them? Is your goal Christ formed in you and, or, uh, or their holiness? Or is your goal just their momentary happiness? True happiness, true joy can be found when we live according to God's design and plan. And God desires for those whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. Paul writes in Romans 8.29, God desires for us to be conformed to the image of His Son. Bible teacher Philip Riken writes, summing up these verses, in these verses, Paul has described for us what it means to be a true child of God. It is to know the freedom of God's grace and the joy of God's word, and so to be formed into the image of Christ. Once this starts to happen, once we have passed from slavery to sonship, it really is unthinkable to go back to being a slave again. It's inconceivable for John Newton to return to slavery again. And as Philip Riken writes here, tells us here, it really is unthinkable to going back to being a slave again. And Paul urges us in these verses not to turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more. Beloved, I plead for you and I pray for you do not be enslaved. Live free as Paul did, making much of the gospel. Let us pray. Father God, thank you for Jesus Christ, his death on the cross in our place for our sins, his resurrection for our eternal life. Christ has indeed redeemed us from the curse to live in gospel freedom and liberty. God, you have reached out and rescued wretched sinners like us. Thank you, Jesus Christ. Father, we ask that we are not enslaved to idols, that we may live free in our gospel liberty and that we will live lives worthy of the gospel, making much of the gospel of Jesus Christ and in doing so, bringing all glory to Christ. We ask and pray this in Jesus' name.